Beyond the Fairways. With PGA Tour professional Jay Delsing and hosted by four-time Emmy Award-winning broadcaster Dan McLaughlin. Now, it's Beyond the Fairways. Welcome into Beyond the Fairways. We drop this podcast every Wednesday. Beyond the Fairways, coming to you from the Car Shield Studios, were presented by Darty Business Solutions with Jay Delsing, who played in over 700 PGA Tour events. I'm Dan McLaughlin, and Jay, as always, great to be with you. How are things going? Danny Mack, it's great to be with you. Things are going well. I'm really, really looking forward to our guest today. Kurt Byram. So he's had 19 top 10 PGA Tour finishes, 18 top 10s on the nationwide, and since 2001, an analyst on the Golf Channel. So we can get into a lot. Playing, what's happening now on the tour, rollback of the ball. I mean, there's a lot of things that are in the news concerning uh, the PGA Tour and really live golf, too. Absolutely. And golfer, golfers in general, Danny. I mean, this rollback is one really interesting topic to, to see how far the governing bodies go because it's uh, it, it can affect everybody. How can it affect them? Let, let's talk about this. Let's start with the PGA Tour and the pros. How does it affect them? Well, they're going to do that. To, to The rollback means the ball is going to not go so far. So there's going to be some parameters put on the way that the ball's manufactured. So at the current rate, the ball won't quite go as far. And at the current rate of speed, so what that means is that the guys are throwing at 125, 100, 130 miles an hour club head speed. The ball will will not reach these astronomical distances that it has before. And so it's all about the performance of the ball as how it relates to the speed that's put on it. So, Danny, it's what's going to happen is the technique that you use to strike the ball will become more important. And so you got to center it. What I mean by hit that, the sweet you, spot. Absolutely, you're going to have to center this ball more to get it to perform more at a higher at a higher level. And because right now you you slop this thing around off the toe and the heel of the driver, and the ball still goes miles. It just goes miles. It's and got so, a lot of give with the driver, especially. It's got a lot of forgiveness, and so this is going to affect the distances. And, and I can't wait to get in. There's going to this. There's going to be a release that's going to be lengthy and detailed, and not very many people are going to read it. They're going to just want to know the gist of it. But I want to read it so that I can understand fully how it's going to relate back to. John Q. Yeah. You know, John Q. Public and, and our people that are listening now. And then how, how is it going to affect their game? Like, let's say we got a gentleman that hits its driver 200 yards. What does that mean for him? You know, so if he's hitting his driver 200 yards, he's probably got a, a club head speed of somewhere around 85 to 90 miles an hour. What does that mean to him? Do you think you could just change it with the PGA Tour and the pros and leave everything else the same? They could have, but they're not. That was on the table, and they so that's a that's a term they call bifurcation, which means there's a set of rules for the PGA Tour and the pros, and then everybody else has a different set of rules. Meaning, it's really just a different golf ball, okay? But for whatever reason, that all got shut down in some of their early discussions, and so where they are now is that there's going to be this universal rollback, um, and and what I'm interested in is like where does this start? You know, so you've got, let's say you've got a 12-year-old kid. Like There are 12-year-olds that have qualified for LPGA events. They're absolutely great female golfers. Is that going to apply to them? How about your children? They are outstanding 
high school players. They have tons of speed, crush the golf ball. One's a one's a young man, Luke. Young's a one. The other's a young lady, Avery, and they both play at a high level. Does that affect them? What about the college players? What about the junior college player? What about your club championship? There, we could go on and on. Like, where does this thing begin and end? I'm. I'm a little confused and surprised that they decided to go this way with it, D, because it doesn't quite I, – I mean, it's a, it's like letting that cat out of the bag. How do you get that thing back in there? So Kurt Byram is going to be our guest. That will be one of the topics I'm sure that we'll address. He's from South Dakota. He played multiple sports. Uh, I can't wait to ask him about that, about playing multiple sports. And he played at a high level. He could have played various sports at college and yep. maybe even pro at different sports. So how that affected him in his game of golf in a positive way. I'm sure we're going to ask him about Liv. And the big news with Liv is if or when we're going to hear about John Rahm I know. committing to go to Liv. And the reports are that he'd get $300 million. Where there's smoke, usually there's fire with this. So much, so much so, Danny. And this is one that has not died down. And I can tell you for sure that the the live guys are slamming offers at people now. They they haven't had any any significant player jump in quite a while. They've actually been, I hate to say, but almost like boring in terms because this is a organization that thrives off of headlines and thrives off of creating more and more chaos. And I got to tell you, if John Rahm leaves, that's a crushing blow for the PGA. It is. It might be the first dominant of the second set, the second wave of big name guys going. Because I could see if he goes, I could see some others saying, okay, he paved the way. He's going to take a lot of heat. I'm just going to jump on board and get my money too. Yep. Think about this, D. A lot depends, in my opinion, on what these discussions are like for this framework agreement. You know, because absolutely, because if there's a clear pathway, and the combination of bringing them together, absolutely. If there's, if John Rom sees a future where in, and I'm making this up, a year and a half or so, he's allowed to come back, you know, pay some sort of fine, whatever, and come out at the end of the day, a year and a half later with $250 million. I mean, why wouldn't you? Absolutely. Why wouldn't you? And if you? you get back to where you were, square one. It makes a lot of sense to take the money. And the other thing about Rahmer is this, D. He's already exempt for all four majors for the next five years. So he's in. He's in. Yeah. He's in because he won the Masters. That gets him in Gets him in a lifetime exemption for the Masters and everything else for the next five years. All right, coming up, it's Beyond the Fairways. We drop this podcast. Some of the biggest names in golf have been on this. Go to Beyond the Fairways with an S. Subscribe. Download the podcast. Coming up, we visit with Kurt Byram, and that's up next on Beyond the Fairways. Starty Business Solutions has been enhancing the business of our customers for the last 37 years. How do we do it? Through our expertise in technology, better use of data and analytics, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. We roll up our sleeves and collaborate. We build applications and effectively communicate with our partner clients to bring their goals and objectives to the finish line. Our award-winning Access Point program is a community game changer. With nearly 100 students in the program, mostly young African-American females, are making between fifty-five dollars and $60,000 per year right out of high school. That's right, fifty-five dollars to $60,000 a year right after high school graduation. That's when they begin their training. CEO Ron Darty believes 
The talent is equally distributed, but access to that opportunity is not. So here's Access Point, providing more and more opportunity for those in and around our community. It's Dirty Business Solutions. It's time for the Beyond the Fairways Player Profile. Let's get back to Jay and Dan. Kurt Byram, 19 top 10 finishes on the PGA Tour, 18 top 10 finishes on the nationwide and since 2001 he's been an analyst with the golf channel and i know jay this is one of your good friends that you know quite well oh yeah gosh it's well as we get as we age kurt it's uh it's great to have you on the show man we use the word old and and long a lot when we have these conversations <laughs> well i've known you for a long time so you're uh, pretty accurate on that but it's great to be with you guys today well, thanks so much for joining us. Kurt, I met you in the very first college tournament that I ever played in out at uh, New Mexico, but you and your brother Tom grew up in, in South Dakota. Take us through a little bit of what that was like growing up. Yeah, well, I mean, as you know, South Dakota doesn't have the best weather all year long, so you know, it was probably a three- and four-month kind of thing when, uh, when I started, and Tom started a little bit after me. Um, he's a couple of years younger than I am, but... Yeah, we just started out. My dad kind of got interested in it, and we started going out to the little nine-hole sand green golf course that was in Oneida, South Dakota, and, you know, just started playing a few rounds of golf around there. Then we started hitting balls, and, you know, it was one of those things that it, it, for some reason, it was fairly natural and, you know, wasn't, you know, wasn't that hard to get started and play pretty good right out of the gate, so... I took an interest in it and then Tom came a little while later, but then, um, you know, then my dad had a, a small business down in Pierce, South Dakota, where they had a, you know, regulation 18 hole grass green golf course. And then we started playing a lot more down there, but, um, yeah, we grew up in a farming community. My dad was a farmer and both sides of my family were ranchers and farmers. And, um, we still have the family farm up there in South Dakota. So it's fun. It does beg the question, a farming family, South Dakota, not golf weather. How the hell do you get involved in golf? Yeah, it was just that summertime thing. I mean, we just, uh, you know, loved playing the summer and you know how it is when you're a kid, you know, you, you win one little tournament when, you know, you're 10, 11 years old and, and then you're hooked. And, you know, we played all the other sports throughout the year through high school. And then, um, after that, we just, uh, you know, I decided to play in college and instead of maybe pursuing another sport and, and that's kind of how it went. It was uh, just a summertime thing. And then uh, once we got a chance to, you know, I went down to the University of New Mexico. Then I had a chance to practice and play year round and things started coming together pretty well. Kurt, you know, it's interesting. We've had uh, Jack Nicholas on the show and he's talked about this. Curtis Strange, Tom Watson, Andy North. These guys all talked about growing up, I think, the same way that we did. And when the weather changed, we played every sport. It's so true. And, you know, I live down here in Scottsdale, Arizona, and it's amazing. You know, we have some of the best weather in the country year round. It gets hot in the summer, granted, but um, it's amazing how kids that are in junior high level and then into high school, you know, they have coaches telling them they only want to play in one sport. And it just amazes me. I mean, I, I just don't get it. You know, the, uh, like you said, Jay, all of some of the best players that have ever played golf played at least another sport, if not two other sports growing up and through high school. And I, I think it's good for them. And I think it's important to, 
play another sport, whether it's just to get stronger and to learn to be a teammate or whatever it is, you know. Um, yeah, I hate to see it when, uh, when uh, kids are, are just hooked on to their parents push them towards one sport, you know, whether it's golf or baseball. I see it down here a lot in baseball. It's a, as you can imagine, with spring training down here and with the Diamondbacks and everything, baseball is a huge deal down here, huge baseball culture in the town, you know, Phoenix metro area. And these kids, you know, when they start, they start in little league and then they, you know, all the way through into high school and they play all year and they play summer league and they travel teams. And, you know, sometimes he just, my son did it, you know, and I, he didn't even take up golf until he was almost 18 years old. And it was, uh, you know, he regrets it now, but um, yeah, I'd love to see these kids play more than one sport. That's for sure. And what is the benefit as you did that? I mean, was it more physical or was it more mental in, in being able to, to play multiple sports? Yeah, I think a little bit of everything, you know, it was, um, you know, and I think, I think, you know, you gain confidence as an athlete playing other sports, you know, if you, if you get a chance to play, I mean, we had some good football and basketball teams at the high school at Sully Buttes that I grew up at. And, and so I think it, you can gain confidence as an athlete. And I think that carries over into golf. If you choose to go that way, um, there's, you know, you know, training year round basically for these other sports and golf. You know, back then, lifting weights wasn't what it is now. But, you know, you do a lot of running and, and you know, I played basketball and football. You do some weight training even back then. And um, it, it's all part of the development, I think, and, and important. But uh, now it's just so specialized, you know. It's just uh, you don't see kids playing two or three sports anymore. No, you really don't, Kurt. Uh, Kurt, as you um, look back at – the, the kind of the way the way the game has evolved so you got to play on the PGA tour we got to play a lot around to golf together and played uh, college golf at an extremely high level the way the game has changed Kurt it's almost mind-blowing if you would have said to us very soon or, or 20 years from now you're going to have a golf ball that's going to fly like a Molotar or a top flight, but spin like a Ballada Titleist, you'd be like, what planet are you coming in from? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's completely a different, it's a completely different game than, you know, when you and I started in the early and mid eighties, Jay, I mean, it's back then, you know, the best players in the game, you know, the Faldos and Greg Normans and Curtis Strange, you mentioned him and um, these guys, they drove it straight, man. They, and they drove it, you know, in, in Norman's case, he was both long and straight. So he had a huge advantage, but it was more about accuracy and it was more about, uh, you know, I, a lot of it, I feel like was, was course management, you know, because when I first got on tour, I, I think I finished second one year in driving distance and my first, it was either my first or second year on tour. It was just over 276 yards. The longest hitter on tour was 280 yards. I mean, it was, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. if you played a 7,000 yard golf course back then, I mean, you were wearing out your middle irons nowadays. That's nothing. They're just wedging it on the green. So it's obviously a different game. And if you're a PGA tour player, I think you have to pursue that at least some, you have to, you know, make your mind up. You're going to get in the gym. You're going to get stronger. You have to figure out a way to get faster and get longer without losing you know, your swing completely. I think you have to be cautious and there has to be a plan, but you know, I mean, you know, Jay, if you're, if you're averaging 285, 290 right now, and you're giving up 20, 
30 yards to some of the best players in the world, you have zero chance of beating them over the course of a year. I mean, you're just, you're just not going to do it. I mean, it's just impossible when they, when you, when they have wedges and you're still back there hitting seven and eight irons, you're not going to win that battle. Oh, ever, ever. And you know, Kurt, it's interesting because then Scott Fawcett comes out with decade golf and you start looking at this thing with, from a, I don't know if it's a better lens or not, but it certainly is a different lens. And you wonder if you and I, cause I was, I may not have been as long as you, but I was one of the longer guys on tour when I first got out as well. And I wonder what would have been, it would have been like to play like that where, where I was so focused on trying to hit a one iron and try to keep it in the fairway. There were rounds where I didn't even hit my driver because you know, the way it was impressioned in my head was that fairway was everything. Yeah, it was. Well, if you tried to swing a a wooden headed steel shafted driver, 120 miles an hour back then, you may have been okay for, I don't know, nine, nine tee shots that day, but four of them you weren't going to be able to find. <laughs> they would be off the planet. Yeah, exactly. Kurt uh, Byram. Yeah, it's, a, it's a total different game. Kurt Byram is our guest. And, and having said that, I'll follow up with this. Do you think that we need to change on the PGA Tour equipment to make sure that uh, the players aren't out driving what we have? I mean, you, you can't get more land. So is there something we can do to make this a little bit more uh, feasible for the game that you and Jay used to play? Wow. That's certainly the question of the day, isn't it? That's uh, the USGA and RNA have their hands full. I don't know. I, uh, I just, I feel like, you know, where we're at right now, how do you put the cat back in the bag now? I mean, I just don't see how you can possibly do it. I mean, I guess they can, but now you're going to separate, you know, what the amateur world, how they play golf versus what the pros are doing and how they play golf. And I don't know. I really don't have a great answer for you on there. I'm not a huge fan of rolling it back. I still like that everybody can play the same equipment. Um, I just, you know, a one ball that's rolled back for tournament golf. I just, I'm having a hard time seeing it. I don't know about you guys, but it's a Jay. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is all there. If it was me and I was 23 years old, I'd, I'd try to find a way to pick up 15 yards because I don't think it's, I don't, I think it's going to be a while before they roll this all back. I I agree, Kurt, with the litigious nature of everybody and the the ball manufacturers, you don't think they're going to sue? I mean, oh, we haven't been yeah. able to, Kurt, we, we've lost every single lawsuit that the PGA Tour's been involved in, man. We, 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 we can't, we've, it's already been proven in courts that we can't govern ourselves. We can't make, yeah. we couldn't outlaw square grooves. Remember that whole thing with, with Calc and Ken Green and Ping and we lost, I mean, we've lost every suit we've ever been in. If, if they go and pull the ball back, which is a natural, it's, it seems like a natural response to, you know, the course is being obsolete. But man, I don't see. I, I mean, I think every ball manufacturer would would line up and and sue the hell out of us. I'm sure they would. I mean, that, what's a ball manufacturer going to do? They're going to try to sell. Like, oh yeah, hey, we just came out with a ball. They're going to play it on the PGA Tour. You can play it also, but it's going to cost you ten, fifteen, twenty yards off the tee. No <laughs> one's buying what that amateur thing. Is going to go for that? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Kurt I don't know. I mean, I play with a bunch of good players here down at Phoenix Country Club, and I'm old and scraping around a little bit, but I play with a bunch of good players. Not one of them wants to see the ball rolled back. Not one. 
I, I, they, they, and not one of them comes in after a round of, you know, even if they shoot three or four under, they don't come in and say, man, this game's getting too easy. I've never heard anybody <laughs> say that. Kurt Byram is our guest. And uh, I mentioned you've been an uh, analyst with the golf channel since 2001. How did TV come about for you? And, and you're one of the best in the sport. So, and, and I mean that sincerely, how did, how did the uh, TV though come about for you? Well, I appreciate that first of all, but it was, uh, it was just a, a, I don't know. I was playing. I I had lost my PGA Tour card, so I was playing a um, at the time nationwide event or whatever it was back then, Corn Ferry Tour, and it was down in Florida. And the executive producer for Golf Channel was out cruising around the golf course. They had TV that week, and I was playing in the pro am. And he just stopped by, introduced himself, said hello, and and um, and his name was Keith Hirschland. It is Keith Hirschland. And, um, you know, Keith just said, Hey, um, <laughs> in the nicest way possible without saying, Hey, I know you suck now. And I know you don't have your PGA tour card now, you know, without saying that he was very nice about it, but he said, do you have any interest in TV? And that's kind of where it started. And, um, I, I did a few, I did one event, the, you know, that year, I, if I had played well at all, I should have gotten my card that year. I had won a nationwide event that year, but I didn't. And so then the next year they, they, uh, we started you know, working on more of a schedule. And that was probably around 2001, 2002, somewhere in there. So that's where I got started. And then, um, you know, they just kept offering me a little bit more and a little bit more every year. And that was, you know, 22 plus years ago. Kurt, do you remember when we would go and, and we started not playing well and we'd have to go down to the the nationwide, the, the corn ferry, and I'm sure Keith, you know, you were walking with your head down, and you were not all the in such a great mood because I can just remember feeling like I just went from the show to the non-show, and all these guys are sleeping in their car and they're starving to to get out on tour. And all I could think about was, man, it, it wasn't that much fun to be there. It's oh my gosh, you just nailed it. I mean, imagine going from the major leagues, you know, to double a triple a you know it felt like for us you know and it was it was a tough pill to swallow and i think that's why some guys that lose their card you know they played five or six or ten years even on the pga tour and they lose their card and have to go play the corn Ferry tour for a year it's not always easy for them to get their mind right especially it's not that they're that far off skill wise maybe they had a you know they tweaked their back the year before or whatever you know whatever it is they're usually physically they're not that far off from getting back out there on the PGA tour, but the mental side of that and convincing yourself that, Hey man, this is where I'm at. I need to play well. Cause these guys go low every week on the corn Ferry tour. You know, it's, you gotta, that, it's a mental challenge for those guys and it's a hurdle that they have to get over. Otherwise they're going to get run over on the corn Ferry tour too. Kurt, as you know, being an analyst, you're not supposed to be biased, but it's human nature to to follow certain guys or to have a certain affinity, a positive affinity for them. Is there somebody that you love to watch right now that, you know, it, maybe it's just a conversation you've had or you've built a friendship or you just love watching them play, whatever the case may be. But is there somebody out there that you just love to watch play the game of golf? Well, I, yeah, I, I, I mean, I try not to have any favorites as far as the players go, but I have to say this, this past year was an absolutely incredible year for ball striking out of Scotty Scheffler and having done, you know, about 25 
tournaments this year, including the Ryder Cup and, and whatnot. I, I had a lot of chances to be on the range and watch him hit balls. And Randy Smith, his, his coach, longtime coach from Dallas, is a really good friend of mine. I lived in Dallas for a while. He took care of me there when I was there. Um, so I have a connection with Randy. I know Scotty. Um, just watching him hit balls this year, warming up for events or practicing or whatever, was just amazing. And when you, it, it looks, you know how you guys watch him on TV and it doesn't always look pretty, right? There's the feet are flying all over the place. The backswing, you know, looks different than a lot of those guys out there. And, but I'm telling you, impact is just incredible. The sound and the flight of the ball is, it's so pure. It's incredible. And if you look, you know, I just saw some stats, uh, you know, for the year for Scotty Scheffler and, you know, Tiger, of course, has four or five of the greatest strokes gained ball striking years ever on the PGA Tour. But Scotty Scheffler is like the next guy. He, he I think he had, I forget what it was. It's, it, he had one of the greatest ball striking years in the history of the PGA tour. And to be able to be out there and see it firsthand standing eight feet from him behind the bag and watching him hit balls was, was pretty incredible. And, you know, the results are there too. And despite, you know, just, I mean, at that level, he putted poorly for the most part all year and he still won twice. So in the players championship. So that's uh that's fun to do. I mean, I really appreciate great ball staking and, and I, I appreciate all facets of the game but man when you see a guy hit like he is you just you just stop and it's it's stunning at times how well he hits it kurt the other thing that stands out to me about scotty that i didn't know about his grit is that his compete level is off the rail i mean he this guy he's tiger's the most competitive guy i've ever seen in my life never gives up on a shot i don't care if it's a 80 footer for triple bogey you know he's he's got he's able to pull it all together but scotty seems like that to me as well. I was just impressed with how poorly he putted compared to how well he hit the ball. Man, you gotta you gotta gut that stuff out, and he he did it week after week. He does. It just shows his mental toughness. I think Jay that he doesn't let the missed putts get him down. He keeps, you know, he he doesn't like it. No one likes missing eight footers for birdie or you know missing the five footer for par and. We saw him do that a lot this past year, but he has the mental toughness and the ability to come back and the next tee shot that he has to hit, he's ready to go again. Like he's, he's focused on that and only that tee shot. And it's an amazing thing because, uh, you know, I was a poor putter and I, and honestly it would, it, it wore me down. You know, I'd have days where I would hit it great and walk off shooting 73 and just be like, what the hell, you know? And I just, I don't see him ever get down on himself. I mean, he, he, especially he's, he's gotten better and better every year at that. And now what going into his fifth or sixth year here in 2024, I think he just, he's as tough as they get mentally. Kurt Byram is our guest. Jay just mentioned the name of Tiger Woods. Looking forward, not the immediate, just in general. What, what are your expectations in the future of Tiger Woods in terms of his playing career? Where, where do you stand with that? Man, it is so hard to tell, you know, and, and you have to be right. You have to be, you have to be somewhat cautious with Tiger because somehow or another, he seems to prove us all wrong at some point or another, right? He just, he comes back and he does, you know, does the improbable. He wins again somewhere. He won the masters in 2019. It's like, how the heck did he do that? You know, after everything he's been through. So you, you're cautious, but 
there just hasn't been much. I think he's played five times now in two years. I was just watching the morning show Golf Today on the Golf Channel a little bit before I got on with you guys, and I think he's played five tournaments in two years. And it just the body of work isn't there. It's so hard, and and it hasn't been good. I think 37th was the best finish he had in there. So and you know withdrew. You know the Masters. Remember he had plantar fasciitis and had to withdraw. I you know it's it's really hard to say that he's going to go down there and play well. Um, I think my expectations is I can't wait to see him walk four days and get through that part of it while he's also hitting balls and, and playing golf as well in a competitive situation. So um, I think he's probably a way away from winning anything anytime soon, but hopefully he just stays healthy. I'd love to see him and we all want to see him play. You know, I'd love to see him play eight or 10 times in 2024. It'd be awesome. Hey, Kurt, just this last year, you and Fax were added to kind of the main, I, I don't exactly know how to describe it, but the main NBC golf team. What you've brought to the broadcast booth is this, um, man, it's hard for me to put it into words, but there's just this vibe that you have when you're calling the action that really lends a lot to that team. We talk about it all the time. Danny and I, and, and you you know John Perlis, Perlis, our buddy, we talk about how how neat it's been listening to you. What do you look at as your style, or what what how do you how do you go about you know doing what you do? Yeah, interesting. I appreciate your comments, there, Jay. I you know I <laughs> I try to keep it pretty simple from my my end of things. I um, I do like to get to the range. I do like to talk to players if possible. I try not to intrude though. I, you know when guys are warming up, but talk to their caddies, talk to their instructors. I love to get those kind of uh, nuggets that you can bring out on the broadcast later, because I think that's, that's the really good stuff, you know, but you know, and you know how it is, you know, players, some players like to chat and most players don't, you know, within an hour (laughs) of their tea time. So it's tough sometimes to get that kind of information, but um, I love to do that. Um, You know, I try to know the golf courses as well as I can. Um, I just try to, you know, one of the things that a guy told me a long time ago, you'll, Jay, you, Dan, you may remember him too, uh, Frank Turkinian, who is a legend oh, yeah. at CBS, right? So he was a good friend of mine, and this was as a player, you know, and I talked to him quite often. I saw him out, you know, at tournaments and stuff, and, and Frank was both the producer and director for CBS Golf. And the one thing he always told me, he said, you know, once I got going in TV a little bit, he said, try to tell the viewer something that they can't see on the screen already. Don't state the obvious. Don't say, oh, he missed to the right. You know, if, if you have a reason why he missed to the right or, you know, that's, uh, oh, he hit it in the right rough again off the tee. Well, if you have an explanation for why he's hitting it in the right rough, then say it on the air. But don't tell me he just hit it in the right rough off the tee. I can already see that on TV, right? So... I thought that was some great advice. And the other advice that I, you know, try to live by is um, sometimes less is more, you know, sometimes just talking nonstop during a broadcast is not what I want to listen to. It's, and uh, and a lot of people that, you know, that I hear from, they, they don't want to hear nonstop talk. They want a concise, you know, answer for why a player is doing something or whatever it happens to be. And so I try to do those two things as much as possible. 
Kurt, is there an innovation that you think can bring the viewer more into the game? Now, we've seen guys mic'd up. We've seen the interviews. Uh, we see Tracker, I think, is awesome with the ball coming off the tee or wherever it may be. But are there some other innovations or are there innovations now that you like? Yeah, I like all of the above. Just everything you just mentioned there. I'm not sure, uh, you know, if I'm smart enough to figure out what what the next thing would be to draw the viewer in. Um, you know, I think everybody would love to have less commercials. You know, I I know, you know, uh, talking to an, an executive from NBC over at the Ryder Cup. You know, it's like it's on their mind. You know, that the sales teams do a great job of selling those commercials, and it's hard to turn down that money but i think they got to figure out a way probably at eventually how to have less commercials during a broadcast i think that would make it um, a lot more interesting for the fans obviously um i think the on-course interviews are amazing you know when cbs did the one with i think it was the first one that was on the west coast in san diego and they did it with max homa on saturday of san diego and he went on to win the event was just pretty amazing stuff really. And so I think that's, that's progress. I think the players are starting to warm up to it more and more. Not every player is going to ever, you know, do it. Um, and we get it. So, um, but it's been good. Both NBC and CBS have been able to do that. Golf channel has been able to do it. Um, it's nice to hear from a player while he's in the middle of a competitive situation. So I think that's been great. Kurt, you mentioned the Ryder cup a couple of times, and I know this is like kicking the, the horse way past death but <clears throat> excuse me i really I, I i really look at our team and i watch the play that they put out there and it's just head scratching you know how you can come out flat how can, but one of the things that we had julie inkster on the show not long ago and she was so adamant about how none of the guys on our team except for i think jt had played any sort of uh competitive golf in five weeks and then went over there. What was your take on it? Because I know you had a front row seat. I think she nailed it 100%. I said this before the Ryder Cup even got started, that the European team had played, most of those guys, 12 guys on the European team, had played multiple events leading right up to the Ryder Cup. The, the BMW Championship over at, uh, in, uh, in London was two weeks before. Their entire team played that event that week. Um, uh, I think, you know, nine or 10 of the guys on the U S team had not played an event since the tour championship. And I think that, what is that? That was about a month, I believe. Yeah. Um, to her point and, and the way I felt about it was if you took all 12 guys from the U S squad and all of those guys are capable and in their mind think they could win a major championship, right? Cause that's the level of player that they are to make the Ryder cup team. And not one of those guys would take four or five weeks off before a major championship. Not one. They would play somewhere at least once, probably twice, to see where their game was and to try to prepare and get ready for a major championship. And I, and I think, you know, other than a couple guys on the team for the U.S., they, they played one event in Napa, and uh, that was about it. So I just think they came in not quite ready to play on Friday. And, and I think how Friday ended up, it was in the end, that was the point difference between the, the European team winning and us losing. So we just came in not ready to play, in my opinion. Kurt, I know you haven't talked about it. I know you've never been asked about Liv. 
So I'll go ahead and do it. Uh, just general sense. Where are you at with Liv and the PGA Tour and where things are going from here? Wow. I don't think anybody knows where things are going from here. I mean, I haven't heard a thing. I mean, I've, you know, I've, uh, living here in Scottsdale, I see, you know, players all the time out at TPC or I play with some of those guys once in a while, wherever. And no one that I know of knows where it's headed. I mean, it's there. It's pretty closed lips down there right now, and probably rightfully so until they get things worked out. I have no idea where it's headed. I'm I, honestly, I have watched very little live golf and don't know, you know, what what the plan is, where they're headed. I, I just, I don't have a lot of interest in it. I'm, you know, I pay attention to what I have to do with PGA Tour, and that's pretty much it. So I, I, I don't have a huge interest in the live golf. I mean, I. You know, I, I just don't know where they're headed and the world ranking and, you know, all of that stuff. I don't I don't know how they're going to get all that worked out. Kurt, we're both life members of the tour. How how would you feel if we were active now about Jay Monahan? I happen to 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 know Jay a little bit. And I up until I mean, I still like him as a human being. But as our commissioner, man, I don't know how he'd be uh, he'd he'd survive this. Yeah, he went through some really tough times there. You know, there were a, a good number of players that seemed like they were asking the same kind of questions you were. How is he going to survive this or should he survive this? And, yeah, again, you know, I, it's so tough, though, Jay. You know, we're not in those meetings and we're not on the inside, you know, hearing and seeing everything that they do or what their lawyers are telling them and what the board at the PGA tour thinks and how they're handling everything. It's really hard. I think to have an accurate take on Jay and, and a lot of stuff that's happened without really knowing the details of all that inside stuff. So I, I sort of stay away from it a little bit, to be honest with you. I, I just, you know, I'm not inside on those meetings. I'm out on the PGA tour a lot, but I still, you know, I don't hear the details, you know, I don't hear those guys talking about the details from the meetings and where things are headed and how they're handling everything. So I've kind of stayed out of that stuff. And I don't blame you. It's a hot potato and it's loaded. But when I think back on public relations and I think back on advice and, and, and you've got to believe that there should have been someone telling Jay to not use words in terms like merger and things like that. And, and instead of, you know, saying perhaps we're reconsidering our position yeah. because when, if I'm Roy McElroy, my head just fell off, you know, when that yeah. happened and, and that sort of stuff, man, is hard to come back from relationally. Yeah. I think, I think maybe, you know, maybe my one take would be just realist all the way back to when live, announced that they were going to do a tour and they were getting players. I think that maybe the one thing that they missed at the PGA tour is that maybe they should have sat down with Yasser and some of those guys from, from the PIF and live and said, look, what's the plan here? You know, where are you guys wanting to go with this? Is there some way, you know, that we can partnership with you guys is it, you know, what it, just, take a meeting if they're going to be your rival and you had a chance to have a, a few meetings with them right in the beginning before everything blew up. I mean, I think, wouldn't you do that? I, I and yeah. I don't think they did. So I, I don't, you know, they, they just kind of, I, I would, I would have loved to have seen them have meetings with those guys. And then in the end, if they didn't like it, they could have said, Hey man, we don't like the plan. We don't like, we're going with this. 
and then they're going to, you know, set their rules for, you know, guys that leave for live. But I would love to have seen them sit down and really discuss and have multiple meetings with, you know, those guys from live and, and figure out what, what their plan was and if there was any way that they could do a partnership together. Hey, Kurt, you've been incredible with your time. We so appreciate it. Great insight. Love your work on television. And uh, thanks so much for uh, joining us in Golf with Jay Delsing. Yeah, it's great to be with you guys today. Thanks for having me on. Are you driving an out-of-warranty car? It's only a matter of time before your out-of-warranty vehicle is in the shop costing you thousands of dollars. Auto repair costs are up nearly 20% from last year, which is four times the rate of inflation. If an unexpected breakdown happened today, would you be ready for that? Well, now you can be with a plan through CarShield. Even if your car is just over three years old, it's still prone to expensive costs. Your car is more than just getting you from point A to point B. Traveling by car is a way of life. From picking up your kids to going to a new restaurant, cars are a daily essential. When you enroll in a car protection plan through CarShield, you can look forward to the following. The price will never go up no matter how many claims you file or no matter how high the mileage on your car increases. CarShield offers protection plans that start as low as $100 per month. That's $100 per month. They have repair coverage for up to 5,000 different parts of your vehicle. Plus, when your car breaks down and you're stuck on the side of the road, you get 24-7 coast-to-coast roadside assistance. You also get complimentary towing and rental car options. CarShield has my back when my car breaks down, and they can have yours too. Call CarShield today at 800-465-6550 or visit carshield.com. It's CarShield, proud sponsor of the Golf with Jay Delsing Show. It's the breakdown. There it is. A win for the ages. That is better than most. Better than most. Maybe. Yes, sir. Here it is. The return to glory on Beyond the Fairways. Great visit with Kurt Byram. There's a lot to get into. And the Danny, first thing, I love unpacking this stuff. It's I, I so do too. fun, man. I do too, and that's what we do. We try to break this thing down. How about what he was talking about there with, with Scotty Scheffler? He said not the, the best you know, putting year for him, but he said, man, I've never been around a guy that ball strikes like him, at least in the last few years. Historically speaking, Tiger set some bars, Danny, that are so damn high that they'll never be touched. But for anybody else not named Tiger Woods, Scotty Scheffler lit the world up with his ball striking last year and his scrambling. And just, I mean, you know what's what's interesting, Danny, what people don't appreciate about Scotty? He's a big guy. You know he's six. He's six foot two, six foot three. He's a he's a big guy. He's not the prototypical golf. You know five nine. You know kind of kind of wiry. He's he's a big strong guy. The thing that stood out to me was the multiple sports, and we talked about this yeah. in our open of this. But he encourages. You know, I don't want to speak for him, but you could tell he's encouraging kids and parents get your kids involved in multiple sports and yep. for him growing up in south dakota you, you better be involved in multiple sports because you're not playing golf in december he, january he, february probably march yeah and probably november yep yeah, so, or in april have right. to be dodgy so right i mean he was talking about maybe a three-month window to play golf or three and a half exactly. and, and and i'm sure there were times where it wasn't all that nice when you're out there in early at the end of april 
There might be white stuff on the ground still out there. And that's what you've you've told me and said to me many times. I played a lot of different sports, but come wintertime, man, the, the golf clubs went in the closet. Oh, man, somewhere. Yeah. We didn't even know. It wasn't like we <laughs> they were worth protecting. We tossed them somewhere. And um, I, it, it's amazing. I had this conversation the other day with a family. There's a guy, uh, it, it, dad of five boys. And they're all really, really good athletes. And their main sport that they played in this family growing up, for whatever reason, was hockey. But these kids were good athletes. They were baseball players. They were, And now they are crazy about golf. And I'd say the oldest of their kids now is probably in their 30s. And he talked about the pressure that he felt as a dad to, to put his kids in all this select hockey because the coaches had them absolutely convinced that his kids – would get left out come select time and not make these good teams. And I said, that's a myth that these coaches have, have every parent is facing that. They're facing they're doing yep. that D with these parents and in, in the in the most of the parents cave, you know, and it's it's interesting. Um um my nephew Taylor Twillman, who's you know, stud soccer player, he got a dual scholarship to Maryland because he's an absolutely phenomenal shortstop and he could play baseball as well and then once he got to Maryland I don't think he was able they were able to let him play baseball but all the way up through high school he still played baseball and he also was a starting point guard on the basketball team it's it's funny every every person that we have on the podcast we ask him what do you think about Tiger can they win again can he win again what from your perspective do you see and they all think you know what? I'm not going to bet against Tiger. Tiger yep. played in the Hero World Challenge. He yep. finished even par 72 for the four days. He had 19 birdies. That's the key stat 19. for me. D. The other thing I, I watched closely was him walking. You know, his foot. I thought he looked pretty good. I did too. His, especially compared to years prior. Now, does he look like he did when he was 30? No, and he won't. But he, he's, you know, this last surgery has taken away a lot of that limp. I think that he had. He still said he's dealing with some pain in his right leg, which is um, which is interesting. But I was concerned because with his, I said, Danny, now we got to watch his footwork. Remember when the wedge yeah. shots came out at when he was at Peter Hay out in California? Sure. And he was doing that little the par three, and I said, boy, he doesn't look uberly aggressive on the lower half. I was wondering about that, and I watch his swing. And I'm like, yeah, it looks a tiny bit tentative. Look at his numbers. Yeah, off the charts. He was what fourth in distance or something. Average three oh five. I mean, forget it. Speed is it. And, and I will tell you this: the reason that Tiger Woods has always been for this term bifurcation with dialing the ball back, it will play to his advantage because of the way that he strikes it. Sure. Now he's a terrible driver of the golf ball. He's never been a great driver of the ball, but he is a superior iron player. And look, we watched him win the British Open, not hitting one driver, and this was in. So the guy doesn't need to hit this driver off the tee to beat everybody. My man, always a great show. Thanks for doing it. I love it. Thanks for being with me, D. Beyond the fairways, we're presented by Darty Business Solutions.